This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And we're covering the season opener. Uh, miniseries opener? I don't really know what this is. Are they going to pull a True Detective on us and go multiple seasons, do you think? Well, I think True Detective always d- intended to do that if it was successful. So uh, I would say that there's no reason they couldn't literally do the True Detective model. I mean, okay. every year have a slightly different cast. Slightly, slightly different, different location, city. but it's the same. I mean, this is the Fargo feel, right? Oh, yeah. This show felt like the movie in a a much cooler remix kind of way. It, 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 there was definite remix. I mean, the characters aren't all the same, but they have the same kind of Midwestern Minnesota flair to them. And, and I think that there's a lot of, like, Coen Brothers archetypes here uh-huh. that, that it kind of played with. And, in, in fact, um, I was kind kind of heading towards disappointment in the first third of the show okay uh, and which i guess i don't know are we ready to just launch right into this thing or yeah definitely i figure we should talk a little bit up front what we thought generally like given overall not a score but just an opinion on what you thought i think the pilot is a solid b plus okay and i said no scores <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid above above average performance mm. um i i was positive on it um and I think some of my disappointment was just concern over where I thought they were going. Okay. Particularly with, you know, their uh, homage or lack thereof to Margie Gunderson. I think she's one of the greatest Coen Brothers oh, yeah. characters of all times. One of the the best as far as, you know, good people mm-hmm. and, you know, non-farcical good people. And I was really concerned with the Molly version of that character and whether she'd be second banana to this stereotypically you know <laughs> fairly boring white dude character yeah 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 and, and i was and not nothing, feeling that i really loved the relationship that margie and uh, Mar- or marge i'll call her by her actual name that marge and uh, her husband had sure in the movie mm-hmm. and that was that i was kind of with you i was worried that they weren't going to have anything interesting play out with that and i we don't know like what uh what is her name molly what her status is uh really at all Mm -hmm. but she was sharp like marge was she was she picked up on clues she put pieces together uh in the case and she figured things out this felt like a marge gunderson origin story (laughs) okay yeah yeah and once i realized that's where they're going with it i kind of relaxed and like okay well this isn't you know this this isn't a an usurping of this female's role. It's yeah. just a different way to sell it. And, and, you know, by the time the police chief bid it, I was fully relaxed and like, okay, yeah, this isn't, yeah. I, you know, cause I was just like, man, this guy is dull. Yeah. 
I mean, their relationship had, I mean, there's so many echoes. Uh, the, when he got the call about the homicide, that was almost a shot for shot remake of Marge getting the same phone call. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she was pregnant versus his wife pregnant. And yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh, this guy, if he, if he, if he takes over to Marge role and, you know, he was kind of like a little <laughs> sharper than Molly was and she wasn't experienced. And I'm like, man, that's just, yeah, that's, I feel that's like a subversion of Fargo I was not on board with. Sure. I, I'm with you there. And, and I was worried about that too. Um, it, I don't know how to describe someone as boring in this setting. Because that's kind of the point for most of these characters, that they are very mundane. Yeah. And things in Fargo, things in Bemidji, uh, things in Duluth are not that exciting to begin with. Mm -hmm. So when you set something there, you say these are the kind of characters who would be in this location. To say that someone has been dull within that location says right. something extra about it. And I think you're right. That guy was did not impress me very much. Um in the way that even Marge's husband, Norm, uh, did in the movie. I think that's kind of cool how the baseline characters of the like the people in the background and the extras uh, are so, you know, stereotypically in the strictest sense of the word, mm -hmm. dull Midwestern. Yeah. That the the foreground players are it's almost like they're in color and their other thing else is in black and white. They really pop off the screen. They do. Yeah. Like you Steve know? Buscemi character. Oh my God. <laughs> or even Martin and Molly and especially Billy Bob Thornton's character. Yeah. Which I don't know if we actually caught his name, but it's Lorne. I don't think it's ever said. It's Lorne Malvo, which makes him sound like the nerdy brother of Lord Vold Voldemort. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't, I, I just, I like that. I, um, mm -hmm. and the whole subversion of Minnesota nice, because you got some terrible people here and not just yeah. the ones killing people. I mean, Hess and his sons are vile human beings. Oh yeah. And, that, and that definitely. was a little, that was the other thing that left a sour note is like some, I find it hard to believe someone is really that pig-headed that survives into adulthood and is successful in life yeah i mean if in this setting he doesn't seem to have run into anybody who is as willing to be an asshole i guess yeah and, that and seems... finally he did with billy bob thornton uh and it seems like billy bob thornton uh lorne just likes to kill people and likes to stir up shit it not even just kill people He's he's a troublemaker. He's an interesting character because you contrast what he does with Lester here, which uh -huh. is Martin's the Freeman, right? Yeah, Martin Freeman. His character, who is obviously an homage to the William H. Macy character. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Lundergaard. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry. Um, you contrast what he does with Martin, or I'm sorry, uh, Lester, <laughs> uh -huh. with what he does with that poor schmuck at the motel. Yeah. Very same situations. One, he sets up as a patsy just for his own amusement. Mm -hmm. And Lester, he does what with? Like, what's his end game here? Uh, that's a really good question. Either, to me, there are two possibilities. He's either setting up Lester uh, for more trouble, just to stir up shit like he did with Gas Tank Kid. Or he feels sorry for Lester in a way. In a way he doesn't for Gas Tank Kid? I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face when, and especially since it seemed like that was a double deserve that, you know, the the motel lady was his kind of someone person that deserves punishment in much the same way as Hess. She's petty and cruel and enforcing policy where it's really ridiculous to do so. Yeah. And, you know, she wasn't having any of his challenging the pet policy and all that. It, and then this other guy's poor put upon. It, it's almost exactly like Martin. It is. I, I think Lester. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It it is. But there seems to be something else with Lester. Um, I mean, obviously, Lester is not standing up for himself, but the the level that Sam took it to with Lester it's very different than calling some kid a clam, right? I guess, yeah. And there's the, Maybe the she long didn't... history there, too. Yeah, yeah. But if he, he can see to, that that's been the case. If he had talked to that kid, I wonder if he wouldn't <laughs> be just as big a loser as Lester was. Yeah, I don't. maybe so. I still, I just, I don't, the point of it is I don't feel like I have a, I feel like he's got some kind of code. Yeah. Um. Even from the very first scene where he ran off, he hit that deer and ran off the road, you know, he kind of looked with some kind of pity or empathy at the deer that was suffering and in, in, in an innocent party that he does not show to anyone else. Yeah. Um, you know, as, was that supposed to be a parallel we get to Martin to Lester that he sees Lester's this wounded deer? Mm. Definitely mean, could be. You know, the fact that was he is he just got this weird like he was moved by the guy just giving him his fago. <laughs> I, is yeah. he secretly an insane, insane clown posse fan, and he, you know, that he he sees He's a fellow a, juggalo, and there's the juggalo pride, juggalo family. I don't know. Hitman for hire works for Fago. Will <laughs> will work for Fago signs. Yeah. All right. I just had a thought. The episode is entitled "Crocodile Dilemma." Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Crocodile Dilemma? I'm not. Okay. So Wikipedia says it's a logical paradox. Kind of like the liar paradox, you know, uh, if I say everything I say is a lie, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you're an Android on Star Trek, your brain melts down because it's a logical impossibility. Uh-huh. The premise is that a crocodile has stolen a child, has got him in his jaws, and he promises the father of this child that he will return the kid if and only if he can correctly predict whether or not the crocodile returned the child. So if the father guesses the child will be returned... Uh, a dilemma arises for the crocodile if he guesses that the child will not be returned. In the case that the crocodile decides to keep the child, and I'm reading right from Wikipedia here. Okay, so not a problem if he says, yes, you will return the child, because he's either going to or he's not going to. Right. Uh, and the father has correct has not correctly predicted the one where he won't. But in the case that the crocodile decides to keep the child, he violates his terms. The father's prediction has been validated and the child should be returned. However, in the case that the crocodile decides to give back the child, he still violates his terms, even if the decision is based on the previous result. The father's prediction has been falsified and the child should not be returned. Mm-hmm. The question of whether the crocodile should do is therefore paradoxical and there's no justifiable solution. Okay. What if this ties into the ambiguity of Lester's response at the hospital? Like he said, if I was, if I were you, I would kill this man. Are you wanting to kill? And Martin's like, oh, well, we're just kind of, no, you know, and acting like a sensible person would, Mm -hmm. where, you know, he's intrigued by the idea, but he would never say to go ahead and kill this man. Yeah, but he doesn't say no either. He doesn't say no, but 
but again, I feel like that just says all oh, G's. <laughs> you you, const- you you compare that to the kid who has a fairly minor provocation. He's like, you should pee in a gas tank and ruin your engine, and the kid does. Uh huh. You know, I don't think I've got all the answers there, but it's interesting that the, the kid took his advice and was you know not just thinking about it or thought it was interesting. He actually followed through immediately. Mm-hmm. Lester hemmed and hawed and acted like what a normal person would do. This guy's been bullying him. He had sex with his wife. He rubbed it in his face. He hurt him again in front of his kids and humili- you know, threatened his safety on multiple occasions. And he's still not enough for him to kill him. And in fact, the next time they meet in the diner, he's like, you know, he had a wife and kids and was trying to find common cause with that. Maybe his moral code is that he rewards people that are good. <laughs> uh, maybe. He's I don't like know. It's devil. tough to say. He's like the devil on your shoulder, and if you follow the devil, the devil then, you know, pisses in your cornflakes. If you don't, then he does something that he thinks is a weird moral reward for you. Hmm. Interesting. I I don't know. I I honestly didn't think about the name while I was watching it, but that that is uh, the idea that he might have a code is an interesting to think thing to think about. It's got to mean something. Sure. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the quirkiness of it, because there is a lot of quirk there. I mean, it's obviously a, a dull setting, but uh, in true Coen Brothers fashion, a lot of these characters are very quirky. I mean, we see uh, Lester is, you know, very bad at his job mm. uh, in a spectacular fashion. Yeah, his lack of smiling and tie choice is the least of his problems. <laughs> He's just... Ter- his sales pitch is terrible and off-putting and yeah. to a farcical level. Mm-hmm. Like that man, they wouldn't be worried about the latest washer and dryer. They would be homeless. Sure, yeah. And, and I think that's kind of where I was coming from, worrying about what I was seeing in the first third of the show, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, character seems so quirky as to be uh, maybe dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. In like really dysfunctional to the point where they couldn't function. Right. Um, and, and I was worried about it trying to get too cool and quirky with it, but I don't think they did. I think they hit a fairly nice balance. Maybe not the perfect balance that the movie hit. Yeah. Because I just, every character in that movie is perfect. Just pitch perfect. And also it seems like, so after the fourth or fifth time you see, Put upon henpeck dude, mm-hmm. uh, decide to grow a spine through selfish, amoral, violent behavior. Mm-hmm. The rose, the bloom falls off the roses a little bit. You know, after you've seen Walter White, Don Draper, yeah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, that's the other thing. I was kind of like, oh, it's this again. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about uh, William H Macy's character about Jerry Lundegaard is that. He never accepted that role. Yeah. He was, like, stuck in Walter White. He never shifted into Heisenberg. He's always passive-aggressive. He yep. never faced up the consequences of any of his actions. He was too afraid to even put stop his plans in motion when they clearly were, were, were going to work at cross-purposes to him. Sure. It's like it, it was uncomfortable to watch. Um I was really shocked when Lester hammered his wife to death. Yeah. Um, and so he just went right from 
like season early season one Walter White to you know mid season five Walter White. Yeah, I, I that was surprising to me definitely, uh, and something that makes him very different from Jerry, like you said. Uh, I don't I don't know that it felt right to me. It didn't feel like there was enough impetus for him in this episode to just make that leap or it happened too suddenly. Maybe they didn't do the curve well enough. That's where I feel like maybe that was intentional and that, um, Billy Bob's character is this catalyst that moved this guy into a rash to sit in like, Hey, violence can solve all of your problems. Definitely. The way he, the way if it was filmed and the way he wielded that hammer with his wife the first time, it was almost like a uh, a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, you know, he even had the smirk, and it's like just kind of like gentle tap. And then the wife's is like stood there, and then the blood started running down the face, and he then he started going like all jeez, all jeez. He was even surprised <laughs> and shocked by what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes in a half ass, um, you know, covering his tracks mode. Mm-hmm. It seems like even though he was somewhat clever in you know running himself into the wall. There's so much evidence, uh, you know, him being shot in his hand, the blood splatter on his shirt, and yeah, that's so much evidence that it, 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 that a girl like Molly is going to instantly home in on this. The only thing he's got sure. going for him is that it seems like he's fairly well known for being just a two-time loser in this town. Yeah, that it's going to be kind of like a Hank situation where it's like my brother Walter White, no fucking way. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. It it was weird uh, to me how that scene was set up also because I wasn't sure what he was doing at the front door. He, he was obviously going to kill Lorne he was, when he came in. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make it look like a B&E. That makes it look like a murder at the front door. Which I, I, I feel like we were seeing a guy brainstorm a murder in real time. Yeah, like yeah. he realized that and it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll I got to get him put this in the bathroom, put this in the bathroom by the back door, so I could get him in the house. Maybe he goes down into the basement. I shoot him from behind. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know what his plan was. I mm-hmm. don't know what Billy Bob's plan was. Sure, he disappeared like Batman into the I mean, basement. Obviously, he came down there primarily to make sure that Jerry kept his or not Jerry, uh, <laughs> that Lester kept his mouth shut. That seems to be his primary concern. Sure, and. Uh, but it's somewhat shocking that he obviously shared where he was staying, mm-hmm. how to reach him. Uh, that was something that we get, were kind of wondering about on our, our third rewatch when we were watching it together. How did Lester, I mean, Lorne at the minimum had to know where Lester worked to stage himself in a diner so he'd be seen on his way to end the work. I don't know that Lorne was staging himself in the diner. I think maybe he just went to the diner to eat. No, then that's and, a that's a and huge Lester drove by. And I have a hard I have well. A this hard is a very small that. town. There's probably one main street, from uh, what we know. I guess that's true. So it's a coincidence on the timing, but probably not the location. So his plan was just to kill this guy and then disappear forever and never be seen again. I don't and know. This, and this guy's a professional hitman to the yeah. point that they've got a front. He's got a handler. Mm-hmm. He's got multiple jobs queued up. Like he's, yeah. you know, I mean, this. Uh, it seems odd that like a it's what appears to be a kind of a psychopath like him would have that job. 
mean, all this is fictitious. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that there really are hitmen like that. I mean, this this gross point blank stuff. It's sure. exciting and it makes yeah. for good TV and film, but it's not real. Of so course, I, I, I kind of got to turn my brain off a little bit about that. I think you do. That's the problem I found uh, myself having at the beginning of this episode was just thinking too much about like the types of people who would do these things and and getting annoyed when you know it jumps from lester getting like breaking his nose on glass Mm -hmm. to him being unwilling to say no don't kill this guy Mm -hmm. because i don't feel like that's a realistic jump either i just had to kind of turn my brain off a little bit you know the original and just go with the quirks you know original fargo's like that why the hell did jerry need a million dollars for a real estate deal why did he need it so i mean so there's a story built up in the background there where he has kind of embezzled or cheated his way but they don't ever make that explicit and you can't really connect those dots oh i think you can not 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 in a very concrete sharp lined way no no but i think there's enough information there to to look at it and kind of piece a a rough sketch of the story together okay i i agree with that and i feel like that we're maybe 20 minutes into fargo sure the movie and so some of these things might become clear later on they might have some flashbacks yeah, we have, you know, ten times the amount of content waiting for us, so... But it does feel similar that there's this situation that's spiraling slowly out of control mm-hmm. because of various wildcard elements. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the deer, right up front. The deer is a wild card. Yep. Uh, and that kind of sets the whole thing in motion. Right. So, I, I don't know. Um, there, There's the other question of, you know, setting things up for future episodes like we've been talking about i think a lot of that happens toward the end of this episode um the the shot to his hand i think is going to come back sure because uh, he takes a look at that in the hospital and kind of flexes Twice. it he and, does it and he does it in his house yeah before he hits himself in the head um it, go, go ahead yeah i definitely and then obviously that. they're setting something up in duluth with colin hanks who is briefly in it and has probably one of the best scenes in my opinion with billy bob where he gets pulled over and Colin Hanks comes up to the door. I don't I don't know his name uh, in this episode. I think it's Gus Grimley. It's Grimley. I know his last name is Grimley, yeah. I thought Gus. I saw Gus online when I was doing some research. Because okay. I went into show cold. Yeah. Uh, I watched Fargo the night before just to kind of get, you know, reacclimated with the scene and the music also. I love how Oh yeah, the opening. Yeah, and, and I love how they adapted the Fargo and kind of remixed it and and, uh-huh. and took it, in, but it all feels of a piece. Same with the camera work. Definitely. And they had the same scrawl come up in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, at the, at the end when they have this this scene where Billy Bob gets pulled over, Colin Hanks goes up to him and tries to give him a ticket, and Billy Bob says, that's a, a road you don't want to go down. Uh, it felt like kind of that was bookending the road that he had gone down with these deer at the very beginning, and there might be some trouble for Billy Bob in the future. And maybe even the, the, referring to the road with Lester. Because that just, again, I keep yeah, coming yeah. back to how uncharacteristically sloppy that seems from a, a sure. professional hitman. Uh, funny that I, I just keep thinking, like, what had happened if he had driven through Harlan County and tried that shit with Raylan <laughs> Givens? Yeah, that wouldn't have flown. Yeah, that wouldn't and, have flown at all. And uh, it's still funny that Colin Hanks does a good enough job of portraying a certain type of person uh-huh. with a very economical performance. 
that you can just buy that a guy like Billy Bob's character could mind fuck him into letting him go. Yeah. And the key for me in that scene is his daughter is actively calling him on the walkie while Billy Bob is delivering this threat. This this soliloquy that he's going into here. So that to me says like, yeah, if you threaten the man and and say you want to go home to see your family again, don't you? Mm-hmm. And your daughter is calling you on the walkie. You're probably not. This guy is probably not going to challenge that, right? Because I mean, what's what's he going to do? He he thinks he's writing a ticket here, right? Yeah, it's just a simple guy driving too fast. He's in a hurry. He comes tear asking through and my then town. He gets sideswiped by this idea that Billy Bob is threatening him. Yeah, like, this guy is talking about he's being a dragon. <laughs> yeah, here be dragons. Uh, here be Billy Bob. <laughs> I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, how about the uh, great Bob Odenkirk as Bill, oh. the uh, cop that gets weak kneed at the side of blood? Yeah. Yeah, I liked him. Good performance. Guy who Amanda cleans his gun in bubble bath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we didn't get a lot of him, but it was good to uh, see him uh, making good use of his time between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yep. Clearly poised to be one of the bigger pieces of comic relief in a show that seems like it's going to be desperate for that for long. This show seems... I feel like there was supposed to be a lot more comedy in this than we kind of pulled out of it. Like, Lester is supposed to be just a hilarious character all is around. He? I think so, yeah. I don't think so. He makes me cringe <laughs> in multiple ways. I think that's supposed to be funny. I don't I... think you're supposed to cringe there. Man, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's... I... So do you, did you think that William H. Macy's Lundergaard was intended to be funny? In some spots, sure. It's what the accent and his, you know, Minnesota nice veneer contrasted to mm-hmm. the awful things that he was planning and plotting. And the stuff, sure. I mean, there's the there's the scene where he's trying to sell the guy a car who he, like, scotch-guarded or whatever they call mm-hmm. it. Uh, and, and the guy said, you promised me, you mm-hmm. know, a car without this. I didn't want it. Uh, that whole scene is supposed to be comical. And it is, in my opinion. Oh, wow. I thought it was really sad. Wow. See, okay. Then, yeah, you're just coming at it from a different angle. It's supposed to be comedy. <laughs> okay. Um, I did think it's funny the the older kid beating the one with the uh, hockey stick and then Molly <laughs> running out there. She's like, uh, 217, 217. <laughs> Which, as you pointed out, of course that would be a codified crime in Minnesota with its own... Sure, yeah, it's that actually means the beating of someone with a hockey stick. With specifically a hockey stick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A two a, a two one zero is just assault. Two seventeen mm. is with a hockey stick for sure. <laughs> um, what uh, uh, Molly? Mm-hmm. So we thought it was an interesting arc that we originally see her as this kind of rookie cop, yeah, who made a lot of rookie cop mistakes. And my take was it almost galvanized her into doing better work, and she like kind of became a super cop where she's mm-hmm. you know instead of missing an obvious thing like a deer being in the trunk. Or not even doing a proper vehicle inventory, which is, you know, cop fresh out of cabby knows how to do. Like, open a glove compartment, open a trunk, check everything. Yeah. Um, by the end, she's following up a hospital. She's following unrelated leads. She's, you know, come up with the guy, found out that what seems like an open and shut driver has a wreck, gets stranded and freezes to death in, in the woods, turns that into a potential homicide. Yeah. Um, and then her father, her relationship with her father is kind of interesting as well. 
Yeah, at the very end. He's clearly worried about her with all this sudden violence in, uh, what's the name? It's not Brainyard, it's... Bemidji. Uh, Bemidji. Um, he's clearly worried about her, takes her ice fishing and says, hey, you know, why don't you be a hostess at my wait- at my at my dive, whatever that thing is, Greasy Spoon. Yeah. And she gets this kind of like really thoughtful look on her face and, you know, says not only no, but also I don't even really want to ice fish. Huh. This is something maybe I was doing to make you happy, not something that I really enjoy. And it feels like her character did a lot of growing up and evolving in the span of 60 minutes. Sure, and it makes me wonder what her status is going to be next time around, next episode, because her superior is dead, and he even said, you're going to make a great whatever. Yeah, he all but someday. anointed her as the next chief, which yeah. is, that's the other thing I thought was interesting, how they maybe pushed her being incompetent a little too hard in the initial scene. Huh, okay, yeah. For, me, for him then to be, you know, pleasantly surprised and then proclaiming her chief, I mean, or maybe that just tells you what you need to know about the rest of the staff, yeah. the rest of the officers on, on the force. Sure. Uh, how about ah sh- shit i don't know his name uh brian markinson as a character named bruce gold i don't think we ever find out his name but he's the the guy who people will recognize from mad men who's kind of behind sam hess when yeah. billy bob thornton first meets doc, him doc rosen yeah uh what do you think his position is in all of this because he seems when that's about to go down in uh hess and son's company He's behind him, and he kind of goes <clears throat> when Billy Bob Thornton challenges him, and he's going to punch him. Yeah, I mean— He calms the situation down. So he's got a lot of authority there, but we don't know really what he is. Fuck, I thought maybe he's like the consigliere role because they this family does seem like they have some kind of crime— you, yeah, there's some kind of thuggish behavior going on here too. Like well, maybe don't whatever. they hint at it when he's dead? Yeah, he and, talked about the sons being um, uh, arrested for theft, and they imply some other things. Like maybe there's this is like what passes for the mafia in Minnesota. Yeah, it's uh, possible. And, and this guy's got the misfortune of having two uh, Sunny, uh, a Sunny and a Fredo, and no Michael <laughs> in the in the family. Oh boy. Uh, but yeah, so it's like. Clearly, there's going to be some investigation going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you said he might be the money guy, but he seemed a little bit too mentally tough. Yeah. So like, I, I, he screamed at like some kind of corporate lawyer, but the kind of corporate lawyer that worked for a trucking company in the well, middle of nowhere. That's the thing. A, a trucking company is a really good front yeah, for smuggling, for drug running. Minnesota Mafia, man. All sorts of things. So... I would not be surprised if they have serious crime connections that we find out in the future. Uh, what else? Anything? Uh, well, so this is uh, what we call the half cast. We actually got some feedback from a, yeah. a British listener that says that that's a racial slur. I had no idea. Um, and I don't know. It's like we called up the prime minister and we said, here's the deal. <laughs> we will stop calling our podcast half cast if you guys stop calling cigarettes fags. Mm. They and wouldn't go for it. No deal. No. Nope. No deal. So I think we're going to take the high road mm-hmm. uh, and call it, uh, call it the half-ass cast. What okay. Think of that? Yeah, half-ass cast. It's a half-ass cast. So it's not a scene-by-scene breakdown, but it's more than our instant reaction, mm-hmm. um, n- not the least of which because it's not instant. 
Yeah, and we've seen the episode more than once. Usually. We've seen the episode. We've taken some notes and done some research, and we're we're going to do feedback, but probably not a lot of feedback. We're probably going to pick like the top three, or just see how it goes. We don't even know how popular this is going to be. Yeah. Um, and then you know, if if show warrants, it might evolve Pokemon style into a full cast, or it might just stay this this way. Yeah, supposed to be a mini series here of ten episodes, so we'll see if we even have a season two coming to us i doubt it but it got it got its own feed and like you know true detective which will will, it'll earn its own feed a little bit later but yeah yeah and i think some of these shows like there's a couple things coming up that we seem really excited for the strain yeah Uh, i thought fx FX tyrant seems pretty interesting Uh uh-huh yeah, there's something like with that. Halle Berry coming out. I like that real politics stuff. Uh, a lot of that stuff might originate in our TV cast. There's a Bald Move TV feed. Yeah. You might want to check it out on iTunes and, and look it up so it's handy for a subscription because we might start making use of that. And then as shows, because we're a little gun-shy about creating new feeds for every show that comes out because some of them are going to suck. We know they will. Yep. Uh, you know, for every like, if we had started with uh, what was that? Like the killing the one that goes back in time, and it's like a jungle-based survival thing. Are you talking about the happening? Shit, no, I can't remember the name of it. But but I think the killing is a perfect example where it had an awesome pedigree, a lot yeah. of early buzz, and then degenerates into you know uh, bullshit before the first season's over. Uh, first season is over. So yep. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, we I do have a little bit of feedback we can talk about. Okay, sure. Um, one guy. So I just wanted to let you know that apparently there's massive spoilers for this series out already, and to be careful if you're searching out there. Joe R said uh, Martin Freeman's interviewed on the BBC Radio Five live today, and this was t- uh, April fifteenth. He let slip a massive spoiler and then quickly tried to backpedal and deny it. He's a pretty good actor, but his performance after he released what he said is pretty poor. Um, you know, he said you can listen to it or not. I'm going to choose not to. I haven't. Yeah, I saw that email. I chose not to as well. So because it's just, I'm not. I mean, obviously we're not opposed to spoilers, but I just don't know how I feel if I want the if if I want an out of context surprise from the last episode without being on the first episode. That's different than. Hey, here's what's going to happen next week. And we yeah, even talked sure. about like after experiences on The Walking Dead and The Breaking Bad, I'm not even sure that I'm interested in like here's exactly what's going to happen next week, a scene by scene breakdown. Yeah. Because right. it just it I don't know, it, it does seem to um a spoiler is one thing, knowing everything's going to happen is another. So we're we're kind of that's a gray area, but I want to make you guys aware of it. It's fairly easy to uh, fine if you Google uh, Martin Freeman, BBC, Fargo, Daily Bacon, I guess is the show that was on. Um, you can you can find that interview and, and find out for yourself. Um, some face back quickies. Uh, a lot of people said, or rather Diane H. said that uh, the Mr. Hess reminded her of Biff from Back to the Future. Sure, definitely. Strong, strong Biff vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron P said, "We also we now know where the cleaner hid Saul Goodman in Fargo, Minnesota, or I guess North Dakota. <laughs> okay, that would be interesting in universe the crossover. Until, yeah, uh, I until Saul. No, I guess Better Call Saul's a prequel, so there's nothing. He could just be you know serving as a cop in Minnesota. Sure. Uh, Sue E said, uh, first episode is not bad. I'm definitely giving the series a chance. Has an all star cast." Very impressive. However, too many commercials. What do you think of that? Um, 
So at the beginning, there were almost no commercials. Right. I was shocked at how long the first we went uh, in the first section without a break. Right. Uh, and then they started hammering us with commercials. And it seemed like Audi had sponsored like the first half of this episode, mm-hmm. and it was only Audi commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't particularly like their commercial, other than Ricky Gervais. But I felt like it was proportionate. You know, we had about an hour, a solid hour of show versus 30 minutes of commercials. It's just that they were heavily ended in the back end, which was the yeah. more interesting end. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you really got absorbed. And then just when you really are making connection with the show, you started getting five, six, seven minute long commercial breaks. And Maybe they planned it. Maybe they said, okay, the beginning of this show is going to take people a minute to get into. Yeah. So let's let them get into it. Then once we hook them, True. like... 30 minutes in, then Rel- we'll hit a relatively large cast of characters with multiple locations going on too. Yeah, yeah, it's not a not a huge cast, it's not Game of Thrones, but it's pretty big. Um anyway, she said interesting story uh interesting storyline, not sure if I agree with the cast of Martin Freeman in his role in Fargo. His mm. speech cadence just kind of annoys me. Well, it's British Minnesota. Right. So how do you That's like three levels of accent to filter through. It's rough and I noticed that too and I was I was kind of concerned about it, but I kind of let it fade away right. by the end of this. Right. He, I think he hit it a lot with his just stuttering. He did. The His mannerisms were very, very good. Mm-hmm. I felt very much like I was watching Jerry mm-hmm. uh, in the original. So I, I don't know. I'm hoping I can get past that. She said Billy Bob Thornton reminds me of Jack and Hagar, the faceless man assassin from Game of Thrones. <laughs> um Actually, there's a, a more apt comparison we're going to get to here in a minute. Really like the choice of houses for each character. Socioeconomically, they're just right for each one. You have an old mm-hmm. house, new house, raised ranch. Um, and it illustrated, you know, you see Lester's house, and you go to his, his, brother house, his brother's house, Chad. Yeah. Who's, what the hell is going on with their boy? I don't know. Like, He's... I feel like he looks like he's having an extended where the wild things are acid trip uh, in this episode. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. I, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not so much the autism and as more the tabs you keep dropping on this kid <laughs> uh, to expand his horizons or mm-hmm. broaden his outlook. Uh, she says, and also they do talk like that in some areas in Minnesota. I was pulled over by a highway patrol car outside of Duluth, Minnesota years ago and had to stifle myself when the officer went on <laughs> about leaf lookers and such. Yep, she's straight out of Fargo. Uh, one of my gal pals, Leslie, is from Flint, Michigan, and she's got a lot of that, you know, don't you know, and you betcha yeah. and stuff. Okay, then. Exactly. Uh, Keith B. said, liked it a lot. It's not a complaint. Billy Bob's character reminded me more of the cold-blooded villain in No Country for Old Men, mm. which is, of course, another Coen Brothers movie, then in The Villain in Fargo. The scene where Billy Bob's character gave the deputy the choice to just walk away or be killed on the spot would fit perfectly in that movie. I got a very strong Anton Sugar uh, vibe from this guy, too. Yeah. Um, maybe with... Just a little more smile. A little bit more... A little more charm. Little, Yeah, a little <laughs> bit more personality mixed in. Yeah. Because the other guy's almost defined entirely by his sociopathy. Yeah. He's got a moral code, but it's much more two-faced out of Batman hmm. than it is, you know, the Hound from Game of Thrones, for example. Sure. But I did like the fact that there is, you know... 
spiritual connections to Cohen universe aside from just Fargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jason B said uh, that the fil- the show was filmed in Calgary, which I did not know. He reco- uh, said, I recall seeing some minor media coverage about it being filmed in around here. We certainly had the frozen, awful, cold tundra look going for us. In fact, here we sit in April 16th. It's lightly snowing as we speak. To put that in terms Aaron can understand, fucking Canada, man. <laughs> uh, I'm not impressed. We had that in Ohio. Negative 17 here without wind chill. <laughs> I'm saying in April 16th. We, we had oh, snow, yeah, too. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yesterday it was snowed. Uh, might it be a little bit... Probably a little worse in Calgary, just a bit. Their snow <laughs> probably wasn't gone by noon, and, and ours was. No. Um, Another uh, spiritual connection to the Coen brothers, not just Fargo, is uh, one of the characters' names, I don't know if we've seen them yet, his uh, last name is Knutson. Hmm. And that was uh, kind of the family that hired the detective in Big Lebowski to come hmm. after uh, Jeff Lebowski. Is it actually Knutson or is it Knutson? Uh, they say Knutson in okay. The Big Lebowski. I assumed that it was Newtson. Do you know that we live like 60 minutes from the Big Lebowski Fest? Fest? Hmm. It's a, a okay. summer festival that's been going on for like 15 years in Louisville. Wow. Uh, I'm kind of thinking we should check it out. That would be cool. Um, I'm down. Anyway, we'll, uh, more on that later, perhaps. Uh, one last thing from Sonny L. says, Hey, guys, super thrilled you decided to take the leap of faith in covering this highly anticipated show. I listen to your other Kajillion podcast. Uh, also have a big place in my heart for the Coen brothers, Martin Freeman and Billy Bob Thornton. Yep. The Cohen, speaking of that, we are trying to get our buddy uh, Eric from the Personal Arrogance podcast because he is a self-described huge Coen brothers fan. fan. Mm-hmm. And I would really like to hear his take. Maybe we can get him. Uh, we can do a little piece uh, with him uh, before next episode. Anyway, I said, I can't tell you how uh, the Coen brothers, the first of many directors that inspired me to become a filmmaker. I can't tell mm-hmm. how many times I've watched uh, their movies. Wow, that's bury the lead there. You're actually a filmmaker. You should send us some links of stuff you've done or what, what your experience are. I mean, I don't know if you've done anything independent that you'd like to share or uh, because we that's something we're really in, intensely interested in and kind of getting in in the amateur way ourselves. Yeah. Uh, lighting and camera work. Yeah. Uh, so we should talk. Says James Cameron under a pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> That's some small pictures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted them so bad to direct a pilot, but still it had their tone just in a show format, which is right yeah. on. I don't think they're involved. They're credited as executive producers, but Steppenwall said that just to acknowledge the fact that they basically gave permission for this to happen. They I gave figured. Their blessing. Yeah. Uh, Martin Freeman is delightful as always, but it's Billy Bob Thornton who draws you in as a magnetic performance. The ending really amplifies the whole Fargo of it all. It's very mm-hmm. to see, excited to see where they go from there. Thanks, guys, for the cast. By the way, I know you guys cover a lot of shows, but have you thought about doing a movie cast? You guys could be the new Siskel and Ebert's thoughts. We do. Funny you should mention that. <laughs> we actually, two years ago, experimented as one of our first kind of you know, podcast for pay ventures mm-hmm. where we let the <laughs> – we let our fans vote on what movie they want us to see each week, and then we would go see that movie and give a review. And since it was a premium feature, we didn't get the feed out. But I think you've recently created the Bald Move TV, Bald Bald Movies feed, yeah, that you can subscribe to in iTunes. And we're going to do an experimental five movie run this summer, mostly in May, to kind of test to see if there is interest in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we're going to see the new X Men. Uh, Godzilla, 
<laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> I look so Brian, awesome. It's, it's Godzilla, which I'm a sucker for. Yep, and then it's got Brian Cranston in it. I think we're going to see, just for shits and grins, the new uh, John Hamm, Million Dollar Arm, Finding the... Oh, Christ. You're going to make me watch that? I, it's got the Don Draper connection. Yeah, loosely. <laughs> Very loosely, but it's the same reason we saw Need for Speed, basically. Well, True. we also fans of the Fast Five franchise. Sure. Uh, there's a couple others I know. Again, I, I know there's five movies we picked in May to see just to kind of test it out. But I, I mean, we're huge movie fans, movie buffs. We watch a lot of cinema as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know if it'll are. I don't know if our listeners will cross over in a tel- uh, from television to movies. So we'll see. Yeah, and this time it's all free. Yes. So yes. We're none not of that to, pay for pay to play bullshit. We're not trying to make money, except for if you like what we do, uh, we'll go slide right into the pimping section. Uh, you can go to subbable dot com slash bald move s u b b a b l e, and what subbable is is a voluntary subscription system, and you can pledge a buck a month or a one-time donation of a flat fee and the cool thing about it is every dollar you send to us you can bank uh to either redeem for a a small reward or you can actually save up to get one of the larger rewards and there's all kinds of stuff anywhere from autograph pictures of our mugs which who the hell would want that uh all the way to big ticket items like uh commissioning us to do a custom podcast on your favorite television show or uh, movie Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of stuff in between. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, thank you for all your support so far. I felt like there was one thing I wanted to hammer hammer on that, and I've totally forgotten. Uh, okay. We also have the Amazon affiliate link, amazon.baldmove.com. The way it works is simple. If you're shopping on Amazon, please use our affiliate link because it's it basically steals money from Jeff Bezos. And who doesn't want to steal? Who doesn't want to rob from the rich and 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 uh, send to the poor podcasters? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also we got this new feed going. You know, there's a little bit of Fargo competition. We would enjoy your help in crushing them <laughs> by going and get, giving us uh, some ratings or reviews in iTunes. It's by far the best way that we grow our network. And you guys have kicked ass. Ah. Uh, we are dominating with Mad Men and Game of Thrones on iTunes TV oh, yeah. and film page. We've even gotten into like the top twenty-five overall. Uh, yeah, yeah, nineteen I think is the highest we got. I mean, that is amazing. We we're... we beat Adam Carolla at one point. I know his downloads are way higher, but for some reason, it's all about rates. The it's all about rating there. reviews and 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 the subscriptions, man. Yeah, David that's true. and Goliath. So you guys can help us uh, wield that slingshot and take down the big. <laughs> The big guys. We're not. I mean, we're, we're not trying to. We're not trying to dis- destroy people. <laughs> not trying to take anybody down, but except for Dave Chin, we're we're more like Dave Chin. We have a blood feud. <laughs> not really. We don't. We love Dave Chin. We're more like Marty McFly on his hoverboard, grabbing the back of a <laughs> cab as it goes by. Did you call us chicken? <laughs> uh, what else we got? To talk That's it, about? man. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job on this first one, and we will, of course. Be back next week on if, Thursday with uh, the second episode. If you got feedback, uh, send it strong. Go big to Fargo at baldmove.com. Of course, you can always – we have open threads every time mm-hmm. uh, at uh, com Or shoot, sorry. <laughs> Facebook.com slash baldmove. And I imagine you'll be live tweeting at baldmove on Twitter. Sure. And now we're done. Okay. Well, then until next week, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you then.